0: The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the TOSE Podcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts, and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the podcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I am Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show, available on BMC Channels 9 and 29, and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Well... The Boston sports scene has been gripped by playoff fever since last October. The big four sports teams in town are posting a collective postseason record of 30 wins to 12 losses. That's a 7-14 winning percentage. That also uh, includes two championships and a third one well within reach. And here to help us talk about the Bruins' attempt to join the hashtag Boston 3 party. As well as looking at the hard decisions facing the Celtics this off season, is Matt Geegan, part of the uh, fantastic sports team over at uh, CBSBoston.com, and that would be WBZ-TV4. To those of uh, us old timers who still uh, know know the TV station call letters by heart, uh, Matt, uh, welcome uh, once again, making your second appearance here on the Toddcast. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining in, Todd.
1: Thank you for having me again. Uh- a blast last time i look forward to chatting
0: sports with you again this time yes and as i said we we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the bruins but uh, in the interest of full disclosure because this is something you may not necessarily know and not necessarily uh for any of our newer listeners to the podcast may not know this about me but if you are a longtime listener or even a longtime viewer of the tv show you do know this about me and that is that uh you know my allegiances uh, for professional hockey don't necessarily uh, uh go in favor of the uh the black and gold since i actually grew up in uh, western massachusetts and as a result the dulcet tones of the brass bonanza and uh, yes they still uh still still heartbroken that it's been 22 years but uh that the team is uh left town and uh so uh yeah it's a kind of bittersweet watching uh this current series with the uh the Bruins and the former Whalers now the Carolina Hurricanes uh by the way just to answer your next question Matt if you have a question for me about this no I am not a die hard Carolina Hurricanes fan because frankly you know when I was a Whalers fan I could drive down and go to the games and I did that quite a bit in my youth and uh when the team left town, it's uh, you know all of a sudden it gets a little harder to make those commutes uh, to the uh, you know d- you know all the way down to uh, North Carolina.
1: Absolutely. Now, how many Whalers jerseys do you still own,
0: though? Uh, actually, I don't have many jerseys. I just have the one. I I, I have quite a few hats. I still uh, can break out from time to time. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know it's uh. You know, I, part of this is, uh, and I guess the next question too, is why I'm not a Bruins fan. Cause I have lived in the Boston area now for about 25 years. And, you know, people ask me that and I tell them, well, you know, when I was growing up as a Whalers fan, a lot of the uh, playoff heartbreak we suffered was at the hands of the, the chief rival, uh, which would have been the Bruins. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be like, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, becoming, say, a, uh, you know, a you know, a Yankees fan. You know, I, I can't suddenly, you know, as a Red Sox fan, I'm not going to switch allegiances and start rooting for the Yankees just if I, you know, if I moved to New York. So it's kind of the same thing here. I just uh, I just never thought of the you know they've always been the enemy. They were the enemy of my youth and I, I watch them now and I I did jump on the bandwagon for 2011 a little bit, but I have to tell you my fandom for for them is never going to reach the heights uh, that it would for any of the other Boston teams. I mean, I really get into watching uh, those teams compete for championships. It's just not the same with me and the Bruins uh, even after all these years and you know, long, you know, again, you know, it's been 22 years since uh, there, there was a hockey team uh, in Hartford. But it's just, just, it's tough for me. So, uh, yeah, so in the end, um, I'm watching this series. And I I guess the Bruins right now are certainly extracting a little bit of revenge on uh, Carolina for what the uh, Hurricanes did to them in the playoffs 10 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are. I, I figured the Bruins would win. I thought they'd win. I thought they'd win in somewhat easy fashion, but I did not see this coming at all. I mean, they have just dominated them pretty much anywhere. And the thing is with the Bruins, and uh, we'll obviously touch on this when we get to the Celtics, but they—they just—they don't quit. I mean, they get hit in the face and they get right back up and they punch twice as hard. Uh, so you gotta—I—I I can't get over it how well they've played against Carolina, and it's really been since the start of the Blue Jackets series too. I guess you can go back to Game Six against the Maple Leafs as well. But I mean, they are—they're adapting and winning whichever way they need to. It's—it's um, it's incredible to watch. I mean, I'm not. The biggest hockey fan, and I, I would admit that of the four Boston sports, I'd say I follow the Bruins the least of the four. Uh, but I have been, I've been totally enthralled with this playoff run. There, they are a fun team to watch. They, they care. You could tell that they care and they like each other. I mean, that that's pretty much true for any hockey team that's in the playoffs. They always seem to come together this time of the year. But what the Bruins are doing is just—it's an incredible run, and they're doing it on the back of Tuukka who I'm sure you've heard, Not a lot, a lot of people in Boston don't like him as much as you think they would, being a spectacular goaltender, but he is just playing out of his mind right now. He's, if they win, he's going to carry them to the cup. It's going to be a Tim Thomas-esque run, and really, I mean, Chuka, this is not... I know people look at his postseason resume, so to speak, but I mean, he was brilliant in 2013 as well when they lost to the Blackhawks. I mean, you know, people will look at that last 13 seconds or whatever of Game 6, but he was... He was magnificent that series. He's pretty much as good, if not better, this series or this playoff run.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've got all the numbers here, and I'll read some of them out for our our listeners. Matt, first of all, I am glad that you and I at least both agree on where we rank the Bruins as far as the uh, the the four sports teams in town is for you know in the uh, the pecking order of our. Hockey, uh,
1: however, is probably the best sport in— the best
0: sport that you can watch. Oh uh, yeah. Oh playoff hockey, you know, you can turn on if if you turn on a, just any random pl- hockey playoff NHL playoff game and they're in overtime, you're just glued to the set cuz it's just, you know. But it's It's crazy. Or even, you know, any game seven for that matter, too. Right. Uh, Same thing. But, yeah, no, you were talking about Tuca and uh, what he's done this season. I mean, here he is, his 12th season, 32 years old, and uh, really having arguably his best playoff season. But, But you're right, talking about his career body of work. Granted, he has not been a Stanley Cup winning goaltender, but uh, well, I mean, I guess technically he won one in 2011 as Tim Thomas's backup, but he didn't he didn't play at all in that uh, postseason at all. Uh, but his overall career numbers, uh, including this season, he's uh, 81 games, a 46 and 35 career record, a 2.19 goals against average, and a 927 save percentage to go along with six shutouts. I mean, those are not bad numbers at all. And then, of course, you look at him compared to this year's or you know what he's doing this season. 16 games, 11 and 5 record, a 196 goals against. Uh, and uh, just 32 total goals allowed and a 939 save percentage. Uh, he's just been amazing. And in fact, uh, just talking most recently about his performance in game three uh, down in uh, your Raleigh uh, the other night uh, against the uh, Hurricanes. Uh, some people are already calling it maybe perhaps one of the best games he's ever had in his entire career, which has been a pretty good one. Uh, I, I would say this, uh, You know, I'm watching the pregame show with with Doc Emmerich and uh, Eddie Olchek a couple of my favorite hockey broadcasters and you know the one thing you know Eddie Olchuk's saying to Mike is hey you got to you've got to weather the storm in the first period from you know coming from the hurricanes you know they're going to come out fast and hard and and Tuca stood up to them he made 20 saves in the first period on route to 35 for the game and uh, some of those saves were, were pretty spectacular and uh, he did exactly what the Bruins needed in a game where obviously the, the Bees could only come up with a couple goals themselves.
1: Yeah, he absolutely stole that game for him. And like you said, he stole in that first 10 minutes. They had, I mean, the, the Hurricanes were relentless. They had a few dumb penalties, uh, from what I saw. Unfortunately, I was busy watching the NBA draft lottery, which is a farce. But uh, I didn't get to see <laughs> we'll the well, 2 his masterpiece <laughs> last night. Uh, but he he absolutely stole them that game early on. Uh, hurricanes came out of flying. He gave them absolutely nothing. And the thing with him is, he's really he's not giving up many rebounds, or he's not giving up good books off of the rebound. He's stopping everything that's coming his way, and I mean, he's, whether it's his glove, his body, he's getting the puck, he's stopping the puck, he's not giving them those second chances, and I, I, I don't see how Caroline is going to beat him more than twice tomorrow night, unless they're lucky.
0: Yeah, no there's yeah I they're going to be lucky to be able to beat him period as far as like getting a win in this series. I was thinking before the series the way the Bruins had been uh, playing coming you know those last three games against Columbus that they just had all the momentum and uh, Carolina had a bit of a long layoff after having swept the Islanders and you know uh one of the things that's really just lined up well for the bruins i mean they're they're playing so well but if i could play devil's advocate and i guess since i'm not a a, an ardent bruins fan i can do that uh a lot of things fell in their favor the the bruins you know were able to get by toronto in a very hotly contested seven game series and then you know they, they come out of that into the second round and there's no tampa bay no washington no pittsburgh you know, just uh, Columbus and, and Carolina standing in their way to get to the to the Cup Finals, and uh, you know you have to admit. I mean, this is a. It's not to take anything away or diminish what what the Bruins have been able to do, because you know I'm looking at the numbers here. They've had 19 different goal scorers in the playoffs, and uh, yeah. for those of you who don't know this, uh, hockey novices out there, you can only dress 18 players uh, for a game. So the fact they've had more goal scorers in the playoffs than actual players who uh, who actually dress uh, and. We're talking non goaltenders of course, but uh, yeah, that's uh, you know that that's that's quite a feat, and you know the Bruins have been so balanced, and you know they've got the perfect mix of youth and some of the veterans who you know were on that 2011 Cup team and you know the the 13 team that got to the finals against the Blackhawks. So uh, you know it's all coming together, and then they just got in every break as far as you know the opponents that they're playing, and you know this you know just take this Carolina team. I think it's just the team the Bruins happen to match up very well with, despite the fact Carolina looked so. great rate in the first two rounds uh, against Washington and uh, the New York Islanders.
1: Yeah, it seems like at times, Carolina has kind of forgotten how to play hockey. Uh, Their captain, Williams, he got what was it, three penalties in the first period last night, which is... I don't know about that strategy. I don't think that's a winning brand of hockey right there from your captain, but uh, the Bruins have definitely... they've gotten breaks. I mean, not having Tampa is thats huge. Although I would love to see how those two would match up in a seven-game series now, seeing how the Bruins played and knowing what Tampa did in the first round. But uh, it's, it's one thing to have it all laid out for you. It's another thing to actually take advantage, grasp it by the horns, and really go for it. Uh, they, they're not giving the Canes any chance right now. Uh, the, the Hurricanes actually had a couple good scoring opportunities where they had kind of an open net. Chuka was out of position a handful of times, and they just, they just flat-out missed. And on the Bruins side, they're, they're not missing those opportunities too often. Uh, so it, it definitely takes some puck luck uh, to draw the cards and all of that, but you know what? The Bruins are taking full advantage of it, um, so they deserve credit for that. I, I don't think anyone will give them an asterisk for not having to face a Lightning after what they're watching their sheer dominance over the last, what was it, six games, I'd say.
0: Yeah. You know, Matt, I, I can just—you you, kind of gave away the fact you've been listening to a little bit of uh, Bob Beers on the radio calls of these games because uh, you just <laughs> mentioned puck luck there, and that's—I hear him utter that all the time, and I'm sure there's other guys who use it too, but he seems to use it more often than than anybody else I I listen to for Here's hockey. He's a
1: frequent guest of Sports Final on wbz yes. as well, so I get to yes watch his
0: Yes, uh, he is. <laughs> I have seen him there, see there too. <laughs> every
1: Monday, so that's enjoyable.
0: That's right. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, no, it's. Oh, uh, very
1: tanned, That
0: yeah, I've I've heard that about him too, uh, for sure. You know, again, getting back to Rask here, and uh, you, you talk about the fact that maybe he, you know a lot of fans don't give him the credit he deserves. Uh, perhaps one of the reasons, and I was actually I did a podcast earlier this week with uh, uh, Red Sox beat writer Chris Mason, who just happens to be a, a general Boston sports fan. So he, you know, when he's not covering the Red Sox, he's watching other games. And one of the things you know he's followed Tuka's long career here in Boston. And one of the things he said is that. You know, because Tuca is so technically sound, he never has to make any spectacular saves that have you gasping or, like, jumping in the air going like, I'm, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. Or the old expression that I used to use back in the day when I was, you know, doing some hockey play-by-play is standing on his head. You know, Tuca Rask never has to stand on his head because he's just always in the right place and is able to make, you know, saves – you know, even the most difficult saves look routine just because he's always in position. Tim Thomas was never in position. And so, I mean, you know, the, the, he had an incredible cup run in 2011. But a lot of times, those acrobatic saves, I mean, if that had been too good in the net that year, I'm sure he would have made it look a lot more uh, routine.
1: Yeah, he's just so smooth with everything he does. And his his placement in the net through this, uh, just this whole postseason, I mean, he's not giving teams anything to aim at, anything to shoot for. He's there. He is a brick wall right now in front of the net, and uh, like you said, nothing too flashy. He's just he's just stopping everything.
0: Yeah, and then you know you know another some stats on Rask too, and I think this might be one of the reasons he might be having his best playoff run uh, ever as a Bruin. Uh, this year he only played 46 regular season games. The previous five seasons. He, uh, the, this was the number of regular season uh, games he played 58, 70, 64, 65, and 54. So, with only 46 this year, that's like the lowest total he's had in six years. And uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. He was well, I mean, I think he was a lot more well rested coming into these playoffs than any other uh, playoff run the Bruins have had uh, the last several years. Absolutely.
1: Having Halak, uh, and especially having Halak play. At the level that he was playing at during the regular season, it gave them that, gave him so many opportunities to give Rask an extra night off here and there, or you know, as they tended to do in years past. You know, maybe he sits against some of the better opponents. Not saying that every good opponent he sat against, but they kept him. They were able to get him the rest that he needs. We all know that Rask is better when he's well rested. Um, And if he had to play 60 games this year to get them to where they were, he definitely would not be what he's doing. He wouldn't be doing what he's doing right now. Um, but no, this is, it was just great management on Cassidy's part. He deserves a heck of a lot. He deserves all the credit in the world for having this team where they are. He, he gets those guys to play. He's got a great system. And they, they just, they go up and they play for him. They, he's, he's a great coach, great coach.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought him up too, Matt, because uh, he does deserve a lot of the credit. It, it felt like, uh, you know, the Bruins, after several years of, of Claude Julien, had just kind of tuned out his message and needed a change behind the bench, and, uh, you know, they bring in Cassidy, and you're right, these guys do seem to want to uh, play for him, run through a wall, skate through a wall for him, as it were. Uh, you know, you just, you look at the overall balance, you know, I had mentioned uh, the 19 different goal scores this postseason, as I'm looking just even at the, uh, at the goal numbers, I I mean, you know, Brad Marchand uh, with uh, six goals, uh, you know, but he, him, Charlie Coyle, uh, David Pasternak, uh, Patrice Bergeron, they each have six playoff goals. And uh, actually, interesting stat, too, about Marchand I read. Uh, all time when Marchand gets a, a goal in a playoff game, Bruins are 22-1. and one. So that's, I uh, that. yeah, I mean, that's uh, some pretty impressive things. When
1: but... Marchand scores, and it drives them crazy. So uh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, but there's just so, you know, but you look at their top, they've got four guys with six goals. They got uh, uh, David Krejci with four, a bunch of guys with three. It's just, you know, they've scored 53 goals in these playoffs in, in 16 games, and it, it's just so well spread around. I mean, you know, obviously it's been a few years since I'd really watched the Bruins with any kind of closeness, too. I mean, you know, you look at that youth, that of youth, while they've got the veterans like the Marchands and Bergeron and and Krejci. You've got the kids like, you know, Pasternak and, uh, you know, Dan. Anton Heinen and Matt Grizzlick on, on the blue line, Charlie McAvoy on the blue line, to the point where I didn't even realize that, you know, Zdeno Chara, you know, who used to be, like, you know, the number one point guy on the power play, they don't even use him on the man advantage anymore. I guess they just use him uh, on, on penalty killing. But, uh, you know, they've been able to cut back on his minutes, and, you know, guys like Brandon Carlo have really uh, stepped up on that blue line.
1: Yeah, Carlo is actually he's one of the only guys without a goal, but he's been, he makes an impact. I mean, he's been playing... He's been playing great defense. He's he's so big. I forgot how big he was um, since I didn't really watch too too much Bruin. I didn't watch him as closely during the regular season as I miserably watched the Celtics. Uh, but he's had a great series. And it's funny you mentioned all the the balanced scoring. Jake DeBrusk only has three goals this postseason. And I mean, he they were coming in. They you'd figure he'd be up in that group of six goal scorers. But in his place, you have Charlie Coyle with six on that third line. I mean, it's the balanced attack is it's incredible. They.
0: Well, that's the other thing, too, because you you look at most of the, the the teams, you know, you look at recent Stanley Cup champions, and usually you look at, like, their their top six forwards, and those scoring lines are just so lethal. But after that, you know, your, your third and fourth lines, I mean, you know, they check well, they defend pretty decently, but, you know, they're not involved very much with the offense, and, you know, you know, here with the Bruins, on any given night, anybody from the first line down to the fourth line is going to, you know, contribute. Obviously Chris Wagner, uh, you know, uh, in, in game three, uh, getting that uh, first goal uh, to, to break the yep. scoreless deadlock. Of course, he paid the price later and it looks like he might be done for the postseason after taking a, a shot off the forearm, uh, unfortunately yep. for him. But yeah, I mean, you just uh, you know, and then of course, the you know, the late season acquisitions uh, or the, the guys that uh, uh, Sweeney picked up at the trade deadline, you know, your Charlie Coyles, your uh, Marcus Johansson's it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, even even for a former Whalers fan, this, is, this Bruins team is a hard team not to like.
1: Hey, when Connor Clifton's scoring goals
0: for you, you know something's going right. Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. Uh, that That's definitely the case. Uh, you brought up Justin Williams earlier as one of the Carolina players who's just been very undisciplined, and, you know, he's their team captain. He's 37 years old. He's actually the only member of the current Hurricanes roster who was on the 2006 team that, that won the Stanley Cup, with the exception of their first-year head coach, Rod Brindamore, who was actually their uh, top player uh, on that, that 06 championship team. And uh, yeah, you know, but I, I think that's you know, that kind of sums up where where their heads are at, and you know, this is a guy who'd been playing so well through the first two rounds of the playoffs, but for whatever reason, whether it's it's Marchand talking in his ear or something, he's just. Uh, yeah, he is. He's become unglued, as has really the the whole uh, Carolina team collectively. And uh, yeah, I know. I I was reading today how teams come back from 0-3 deficits, and it's happened like four times in NHL history. It's it's not happening here. The Bruins the Bruins are going on, and now really the big question is who they gonna who they're gonna play in the uh, Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, that series currently tied at one out west between San Jose, and St Louis. I I would say this, uh, and I realize he's not as big a part of the team as he used to be, but uh, wouldn't a Boston San Jose final be fun with with uh, good old Jumbo Joe coming back to town?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I think all the animosity he had towards Boston has kind of calmed down a little bit. Obviously, the Bruins have transitioned away from the team that they were when they traded away, Thornton. Of. I mean, what was that, 2004, 2003, 2004, I think?
0: Yeah, 15 uh, years ago, and he's been, he's been with San Jose all this time. He's been a general
1: manager since then. Um, but, yeah, there, there would definitely be some juice to it. I, he made it no secret that he wasn't a fan of Boston during his playing days. Um, I think he'd obviously be more focused on just winning the cup since he hasn't done that yet.
0: Right. But it yes. would
1: be that would be one of those sexy storylines that our news folk would definitely eat up, and uh, we'd probably have a handful of Joe Thornton features going on throughout the week. Would be my guess. And we can't forget about Martin Jones. He had a nice cup of coffee with the Bruins once.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's right. You know, there's that storyline too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're. Team you, for the team. Yep, you got that. So yeah, that's uh, that's certainly. Uh, but, it, you know, not to look too far ahead, but you know, you can't help but uh, do so. It's, uh, yeah, that that would be a fun matchup. I, I just don't, you know, the whole St. Louis thing. It's kind of, you know. Yeah, they, they beat the Blues. You know, everyone remembers the, the big Mother's Day goal by Bobby Orr back in 1970. Yep. Or, or if you don't remember it, you, you at least have been told you've seen the, you've seen the film footage of it. Uh, but other than that, I don't really think there's any, any big rivalry there. I think Boston-San Jose would sort of be a, a fun Stanley Cup finals, uh, you know, both coasts. And, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, hopefully that's what's, how it's going to uh, come down in a few days.
1: Yeah, the NHL would definitely like another Boston-California championship series. Um, I think that would draw a little bit better than Boston-St. Louis. I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, And certainly, you know, some of the star power, too. You know, we mentioned with the Sharks, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be fun. And the Sharks going for their first cup, so that would, uh, I mean, I know the Blues have gone a long time without winning one. Wait a minute, have the Blues ever won a cup? I'm trying to think. Uh, not.
1: I don't even know, to be honest. With you. you know,
0: I'm not sure. I think the I think the closest they might have come might have been that uh, series against the Bruins way back when. Sounds um, about right. Sounds about right. But uh, yeah, anyway, so yeah, so the Bruins continue on this hot streak. Uh, and, you know, we talk about the you know I just mentioned the '70s. This, this uh, current six-game winning streak by the Bruins is the longest one they've had in the playoffs since 1978. Which oddly enough, they, that Bruins team did not win the cup. Uh, but as I said, this team certainly looks—they look like the best team of the re, the ones remaining. And uh, yeah, I would say get those duck boats fired up, as uh, as a, the former uh, uh, Bruins uh, radio guy would have said. Uh, get those duck boats ready, because uh, uh, they need to uh, to get them cleaned off. It's been a busy stretch for the duck boats.
1: It certainly has been. It has been.
0: And, of course, we all were hoping, certainly, that it was going to be, uh, you know, the, the the grand slam. Everyone was talking about that before the, uh, the NHL and NBA playoffs began. But uh, lo and behold, uh, you know, at best, it'll be a Boston three-party. Uh, the Celtics not going to be taking part in that. But, uh, Matt, I know you're a big Celtics fan. I'm a big Celtics fan. Uh, let's just start with this. Before we even get into what happened in the playoffs, just – I guess this will kind of be the way to start segueing into it anyhow – you know this was' a terrible you've probably heard every Celtics fan say this what a terribly frustrating team this was to watch all year because it just never seemed like they could reach their maximum potential uh, it's a team that certainly looked like on paper and um you know in reality should have been much better than they were I mean let me get your thoughts on that
1: yeah I mean they're. do you have a dump button just in case
0: Yeah, this this is a podcast. We can say whatever we want. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll try to
0: beep over you, though, if you want.
1: Yeah, no, I, I will, <laughs> I'll keep it civil. I <laughs> okay, just can't even express the level of disdain I have for this team right now. They, they just never came together, and it never seemed like they wanted to come together either. Uh, just From all of Tyree's comments throughout the year, calling out the young guys from the jump, I mean, granted, the young guys did come in with a little bit of A chip on their shoulder. They felt slighted after making it to Game Seven last year without Kyrie and Hayward. And I do see some of their beef because I don't think Hayward should have been starting to start the year. He clearly was not ready, and that definitely threw off the mojo of the team the first, you know, two weeks of the season. And it showed. It definitely showed. But you know what? You have 82 regular season games to figure it out to come together. You know that if you got, you know, the talent is there, if you could just come together. Stop complaining about playing time. Stop complaining about what other guys are doing. Just, just focus on going out and you know, maybe trying to win a game here and there. They could, they would still be playing right now. I, Milwaukee, Giannis is awesome. He's he's gonna be the face of the NBA in a few years. If the Celtics played to their potential, they would have beaten the Bucs. It's, it's it's simple as that. They'd be playing the Raptors right now. I. Didn't really like their chances against the Raptors. The Raptors seemed like a pretty complete team this year, uh, even though it came down to Kawhi Leonard 4 bouncer in Game Seven against Philly. But it's just it was as we say, the Bruins. It's all there in front of them, and they're taking advantage of it. The Celtics showed absolutely no desire to take what was there in front of them. They just they wanted it given to them rather than going out and taking it. And I mean that's typical NBA. That's how it is. But I. <laughs> Just so disappointed. I mean, from top to bottom, I, I'm not sure what Danny Ainge could have done midseason to fix it because obviously I think Ainge's focus is now on Anthony Davis, and he didn't want to do anything midseason that would prohibit him from going out and adding Anthony Davis this summer. But uh, I don't know. I kind of went back and wonder why Terry Rozier was still on this team, and it was pretty obvious from the jump that he had no yeah. desire to be here and play back up to Kyrie Irving because he thought he was much better than he was. But, I mean, at the same time, I, I played most of the volume on Kyrie. He came to Boston wanting to be a leader. He wanted to show that he could take his own team and lead them to glory and did the exact opposite. I mean, he alienated the young guys from calling them out half a dozen times within the first month or two of the season, and it just never got better. He, he, I do feel bad because I, I am kind of with him on all of the are-you-going-to-Nork nonsense that plagued him throughout the season. That That's just all I made mean, up. BS, mostly from New York writers or other agents around the NBA, but I think he let it get to him a little bit too much, and you kind of wish he never said he'd be back in Boston before the season even started, um, just kind of instilling that false hope that there was promise with this team, that there was something that they were building to, not just this year, but years to come. And I mean, I I don't blame fans for questioning if they still want Kyrie on this team, it the Celtics are in a tough position going forward because I don't, they can't really do much unless they keep Kyrie. Um, but it just seems like Kyrie is not the guy that you want leading your team. He, he showed this year that he can't be the alpha. He can't be the number one guy. He can't be a leader unless he unless he takes what happened this season and he actually learns from it. But honestly, from everything that we've seen from Kyrie in his two years with the Celtics and before that, I don't know if he's the kind of guy that adapts like that. He seems like he's, he does his own thing and if it's not what he wants to do, then you're in his way, and he's going to do anything he he can to push you out of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest at this point. I have no idea what the Celtics, you know, or what Danny Ainge ought to do uh, going forward with this with this organization you know, which direction he wants to take the team in. And as a fan, I I don't know what direction I want to see them go in because we all know the NBA is about star power and you win with stars and you look at the last four teams that are there, Uh, maybe Portland notwithstanding, but the other three teams all have really big name star, you know, know, players on that roster, guys who are capable of taking their team to the promised land. And the closest thing that the Celtics really have with that is Kyrie. Let me ask you this, Matt. Do you think at all that – there was kind of a turning point with Kyrie uh, this year. It, it seemed like all of a sudden, right around the time, and you know, again, maybe the local media here blew it out of proportion. But when he had that phone call with uh, LeBron James to kind of make up, and you know, I guess on one hand, we might have all thought that was a good idea. Uh, it might make him a better leader for the team for the for the Celtics, but. You know, it, it seemed like from that point forward, he, he almost turned even more against some of the some of his teammates than he had up to that point. And I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you do you look back at that as, as some kind of a turning point? Because that was that was close to the time where I think he told the media, you know, he just said like, you know, uh, you know, shut up, I don't want to hear any more of this. But you know, I I don't know. What what do you think yep. about that?
1: Yeah, it, on I mean, on the surface, it's like, oh wow, this this kind of shows some growth for Kyrie. He admits that he was wrong. Getting out of Cleveland like the way he did, and uh, you know maybe maybe he will turn into a leader, but then unfortunately, I don't know. It it didn't it didn't do anything. Because a few weeks later he complained about you know all the rumors in the media, and then excuse <clears> me <throat> after that. I mean, I think when I really kind of lost faith in Kyrie was when he said, things will be fine in the playoffs because I'm here, and it's you it just. <laughs> How is that productive Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> have
1: a group of guys that, you know, they went on a really good run last season. They obviously didn't win it, and I think that's a little overrated. I think they're a little overrated, the fact that they, you know, yes, they made Philly look silly in the second round, but we've seen that Philly can make themselves look silly quite often. Uh. Um, they went seven games with Milwaukee, and then they lost in game seven at home to Jeff LeBron. That Cleveland team had absolutely nothing. So I think that run was a little bit overrated, but still, those guys got there without Kyrie. And for him to go in and just, ah, he just dismissed them. He had no desire to praise them for that run or anything. And, you know, just understandably so. He probably did not have fun watching them go on that run last year. But he just alienated himself from, I would say, 80% of the roster, it seems, if not more. And I... I don't think he ever got along with Brad as well as Brad plays it off to be. So I I don't know. But unfortunately, <clears throat> they really don't have any other option. As frustrating as he is, uh, he's the guy that comes and says, yeah, the pl- I'm built for the playoffs. We'll be fine because I'm here in the playoffs and then just disappears for the last four games. They really don't have any options. They They kind of have to bring Kyrie back. Otherwise, they're going to bring back the team that We saw, but without Kyrie, and that I don't even know what that would do. I mean, granted, that would be a typical Brad Stevens team, and he probably would get them to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals again, but they're not going to win anything if they don't have a star like Kyrie on the roster. And it it seems like the only way that they can go be a contender again for the next few years is if they re-sign Kyrie to the max or whatever he wants to sign. If he wants a three-year deal, give him the three-year deal with the max, whatever he wants. And then you have to go out and you got to find another star. You're going to have to jettison some of these young guys and add another star to the mix because he clearly can't do it all on his own. And we know in the NBA, if you have two and a half, three stars, chances are you're going to be playing in the finals or you're going to win the finals. So it's just, they're kind of backed into a corner here. and They really don't have another any other options yeah. than to give Kyrie the max contract and hope but- he's learned from what happened this year and Go out and trade for Anthony Davis. It's, right. it's but that's assuming he even wants.
0: I, yeah, that's that's assuming he even wants to stay here, though. I'm sorry. That's assuming that that Kyrie even wants to stay in Boston. I mean, maybe his mind is that's already true. set on on you know uh, j- you know joining forces with Kevin Durant, and they're both gonna meet up in the Big Apple and turn the Knicks you know, their hopes around. But uh, yeah, I, I
1: don't know why anybody in their right mind would ever want to go play for the Knicks. They have probably the worst owner in all of sports, but. I don't know. Basketball players, they're, weird. they're interesting fellows. They do what they want to do. Personally, I think Kyrie would be a great fit for the Clippers. they will play for Doc Rivers, who yeah. he made sure to praise a number of times during the season. Um, i I'd see that as a kind of dark horse team. I don't know if they... I think they have some cap space. I always just saw that as... That would be a great fit, because he wants to go play for a coach that has played the league. And I, You know, Clippers were a spunky bunch. Doc had them playing really well at the end of the season. They made the playoffs. Um, I mean... Saw them erase that twenty-eight point deficit against the Celtics middle of the season. Granted, that's not all that impressive after we saw what the Celtics are truly made of. But yeah. I don't know. I think it would be interesting, it, and oh, it would be amazing if he goes out and plays in the same building as LeBron, just not on the same team as LeBron again. Imagine the two of them battling for the LA spotlight again. That would that would be juicy. It would be great for the It would be horrible for the Celtics because they'd be left
0: right in his rearview mirror.
1: But yeah, I I. <laughs> I don't think anyone really knows what Kyrie is going to do, and that includes Kyrie himself. Uh, he's, he's kind of a weird cat. and
0: He is, and he's just—the thing is, Matt, is he is an immense talent from the neck down. He really is, but, you know, you don't know what's going on in his head, and, you know, you even see some of these comments uh, that were made after the season— Uh, You know, uh, Terry Rozier kind of on his way uh, uh, to to shooting himself out of town. But he also kind of mentioned, well, you know, part, actually, I think he said this during the season, too, at one point, or at least maybe right before the playoffs. He said, you know, our mood, you know, the team's mood is kind of Kyrie's mood. So whatever mood Kyrie is in, you know, that's how we... That's what we are, and that's how we kind of go. And, uh, you know, I guess the the ebbs and flows of Kyrie's mood swings just sort of went uh, – I mean, he basically took the, the – it sounds like he took the whole team hostage, including Brad Stevens, who uh, had to – you know, this had to be one of the most challenging seasons ever in his coaching career.
1: Yeah, I agreed. I mean, he – and to his credit, he was accountable right after the season. He said he did a bad job. Um, I, I think Brad will learn from this. He definitely needs to learn how to coach – star players, however egomaniacal maniacal, or crazy these star players are, you win in the NBA with star players. It it, isn't Butler anymore, and I think he, he knew that, but he got a really big taste of it this year, and I don't think coaching Kyrie is the easiest thing, I mean, obviously whoever was coaching the Cavaliers, it was LeBron coaching that team, and he could kind of rein Kyrie in because they were winning, but... You do have to question if Brad can handle such giant egos like Tyree or, say, if they go out and they get Anthony Davis. I, you wonder if he can handle it. I I think he will adapt and he'll learn from this season, though so I think he is much better suited at to coach a team that doesn't have such lofty expectations and is kind of flying under the radar that plays 110% every night and surprises teams more than a powerhouse that teams have to plan for that may not have the best chemistry. And he needs to bring them together. I don't know if he can do that yet. Well, I think we saw this year that he can't. Next year will be – we'll see. We'll see next year if he gets another chance to show that he can. Uh, Like you said, who knows if Kyrie will be back? Who knows if Anthony Davis will be here? Who knows if any of the young players will be here? But he's definitely got to – he's got to look himself – he has looked himself in the mirror and realized he has some shortcomings. I think Brad will learn, though. I'm confident in Brad, much more confident in Brad than Kyrie.
0: Yeah, no, but Matt, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we, and we all love what Brad Stevens has done as a coach here, but uh, maybe there is a certain ceiling to what he can do, and he's running into it, and we've, you and I have both talked about how this is such a player's league you know maybe some of those big ego guys i mean stevens is not capable of coaching because they already know more than anybody and they don't need anyone to tell them you know what to do and and so maybe there is going to be a certain you know level to where stevens could be an effective nba coach and that this might have been it i mean maybe you know this was obviously the first time uh this was what his fifth season so he's got one more year under contract is that right with the Celtics?
1: Yes. one or two, I think. I not hundred percent certain. I thought it was
0: a six-year deal, and this was year five, I believe, uh, this past the season that just ended uh, for him. But each year, the the Celtics had won more games than the year before, and they kept improving. And like you said, they were sort of that that team that you know had the lower expectations and would overachieve, and you know they'd be tuned into the coach. And you know this year, you know you've got, uh, you know, I mean, if there's a star out there in the NBA that you know, and maybe he's on a different kind of level than some of the other NBA stars would be. Gordon Hayward who who probably because he knows of Stevens and their relationship back at Butler maybe he'd be willing to listen to the coach but uh Mm -hmm. you know and and then also like an Al Horford who I think just wants to win and he's just uh you know kind of uh, just a strong leader type that's not like a head case every day I mean those guys will follow in in lockstep with Stevens but you know that might be the extent of like today's NBA star that would really you know that would do it because obviously Kyrie wasn't willing to do it like you mentioned and I don't you know it's just it's like so I don't know it's it's just gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating couple of months just to see you know you've got all the angles here you've also got Danny Ainge and his his health issues and you know how how is that gonna translate going forward I, I mean and the thing is, you know, even if you're Ainge, if he decides to, to, to stick around and, and continue to figure out what to do, you know, I don't envy what decision he's going to have to make. I, I Whatever decision he makes, I mean, and the other thing is, he could decide, I want to bring Kyrie back, and Kyrie might say no. And then he'll be left with uh, with other options. But, uh, yeah, I just, boy, it, it really is going to be a fascinating uh, the off season, as it will be for the rest of the NBA, too.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm confident that Ainge has... He has his plan A, plan B, plan C, et cetera. Uh, this is Danny Ainge. He, he's got something in the back of his mind that he knows he can do that, that will help this team if Kyrie bounces, but I have no idea what it is. I mean, it's, it, this is Danny Ainge. Most of his moves no one actually sees coming. I mean, the Kendrick Perkins trade, no one, no one saw that one coming. It's always the moves that you don't hear about with Ainge that end up going through. It's very Patriots-like on that front. Uh, Kyrie kind of came out of nowhere too, uh, a couple years ago. I remember I was actually sitting down with Brian Rob at the time. Uh, we were enjoying a adult beverage when he got a text from Greg Bedard saying, "Oh, hey, Celtics are straight for Kyrie," and he was like, "Oh, yeah, we kind of heard some rumblings on that this afternoon, but that was the first that anyone had really heard of." It. So I, I'd, I'd like to think that he has some crazy master plan jotted down somewhere, probably on a napkin, that is just hanging around in his office, but you never
0: know. I It could be Red Auerbach's old napkin. You know, it just gets handed down to yeah, the next <laughs> generation of great executives. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It, it's – yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like like I said before, Matt, as a fan, I, I don't know what they ought to do. I mean, there's a part of me that says, you know uh, – have Ainge talk Kyrie to come in here. I mean, he's going to make more money here than anywhere else. You get him, you, you convince him to bring in, you know, Anthony Davis. And of course it might only be a one year window. That might be all you have. And in the process, you're probably going to have to trade Brown and Tatum possibly, Right. Um. you know? So I, I don't know. I mean, and then where are you going to be after that? If you don't win the championship, if you don't win an 18th banner, I mean, you could be a huge mess after that where you, you may be another 20 years before you, you even get a sniff again. So, uh, yeah, there's all that. that
1: all the hard work to tweak the Brooklyn Nets a few years ago. And it could be gone after next year. It, it's a very interesting time for the Celtics. Uh, it, and like I said, I don't think anyone has any clue what's going to happen this summer. I do feel fairly confident in saying that they won't be making three picks come draft night, but I, uh, you know what, <laughs> who even knows on that front? We could be, they could take two euros and, send them overseas for a couple years just as draft and
0: stash. But. Yeah, they've done that before. Uh, yeah, and of course you're alluding to uh, the, uh, the NBA draft lottery, uh, for, uh, which took place yesterday as we're uh, recording this uh, podcast. And uh, the Celtics ended up with uh, I guess sort of a mixed bag scenario. They end up with... Uh, the Sacramento pick at number 14, and then they're also going to have picks at 20 and 22. But all the talk is that this is a very top-heavy NBA draft, and so the argument would be that these, maybe after the first three or four players, there isn't going to be anyone else uh, that is of a, like a star-caliber level to to draft, And which in some ways, I mean, the Celtics already have a lot of players like that already on their roster, so maybe these three yep. picks don't mean anything. Oh, uh, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, talk about the draft lottery. You know, I, I heard, uh, you know, I, I, listened to the top rated, uh, sports show in, uh, Boston sports radio, uh, earlier today, and they were convincing me that the entire draft lottery is, uh, rigged, fixed, uh, the league's doing this and, um, you know uh, they, they had their reasons why they thought it was fixed which didn't make a necessarily a ton of sense to me because I don't know why the NBA would roll over and do favors for the New Orleans pelicans but right yeah you know, what what Nobody Matt what do so you yeah yeah my, my feeling is if they were gonna if they were going to rig the draft lottery they would have rigged it so the Knicks get the first pick just like in 1985 if you believe the rumors back then at the very first uh, draft lottery under much different rules then uh, but you know that would have been the way they would have done it. Knicks get Williamson and then possibly uh, Durant and Kyrie as well and, and there you go and now the Knicks are relevant again and uh, probably winning a few more games too but uh, yeah, I mean, do, do you buy into any kind of theory, Matt, that there's some, the league is trying to uh, help uh, help certain teams here uh, with this draft lottery? Uh,
1: well, I wouldn't rule out anything with the NBA. Uh, we know there's shady yeah. history and mm-hmm. when it comes to games that you can actually fix, I think basketball is probably the number one, although you could argue maybe college hockey, if you believe some stories from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know how fixed it is. I think there are some aspects to it. I mean, when you think about it, ping pong balls decide who drafts first. That's kind of kind of crazy.
0: And there's an account, but there's an accounting firm there to kind of oversee everything too, so like the balls aren't weighted and right. rigged, and I mean they keep trying to tamper with it too. So like you know certain teams get X number of balls. They don't want you know the Knicks had the worst record and they end up with the third overall pick, uh, giving them an equal chance. It was like them, uh, Memphis and New Orleans that all had an equal chance to get the number one pick.
1: If it was rigged, I don't think the Memphis Grizzlies would have ended up with number two pick. Uh, I don't think Memphis is a big NBA. Uh, I don't I don't know how how well they do, but I don't think many people rush out to watch the Memphis Grizzlies. So I don't know why the NBA would give them a big hand over the Knicks. I mean granted the Lakers did jump up to four, which might actually help them get Anthony Davis, but I don't know. I it, I heard some of that conversation and I think it was I would like to think they were just having fun with that topic, but you never know yeah. on that.
0: Let me ask Matt though. You were watching the draft lottery. Was LeBron in the room when they were doing the lottery last night?
1: I think he actually took out all of the ping pong balls one by one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. in charge of that. He was dressed up oh, as the
0: count. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that the Lakers did end—they moved up seven spots. They were projected to, to finish it with the 11th overall pick, and they end up with four. Uh, which, you know, like you brought up, it may help them uh, 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 precipitate a trade uh, with New Orleans if they're going to get Davis. I mean, you know, now that the the Pelicans are getting the number one pick and, and uh, will, you know, likelihood barring somebody having an aneurysm, uh, you know, while they're making the selection, Zion Williamson's going to end up going to the uh, – is going to end up going to the Pelicans. And, uh, you know, is there any way that Anthony Davis now might want to consider staying there? I mean, I know he wants to win a, a championship, but, I mean, they could end up with a, a pretty decent nucleus now. Uh, you know, they're going to get the best player out there. Uh, what do you what do you right. think about that?
1: Uh, everything I read today was he still wants out. Uh, I don't know. You kind of hope. I mean, it's it's nice to see a team like the Pelicans win the lottery because they, they haven't really picked. They haven't gone bottoms up hoping to get the number one pick. Um, like, you know, the Knicks have tried to do for so long. Right. Uh, so it's nice to see a team actually, I mean, look at a couple years ago, they went out and signed DeMarcus Cousins to put next to Anthony Davis in hopes of them being able to make some noise in the Western Conference. Didn't work out, but, you know, you give them, you applaud the effort. They at least tried. So it is nice to see them get rewarded with that number one pick, but I, I don't think it's going to make a difference. It'd be nice to see if Davis would give it a try and maybe start the season with the Pelicans, and then if they just go bottoms up, then they can maybe trade him at the deadline. Uh, I'm, not, I'm sure New Orleans would get a mu- they would get a much better package before the season. So we'll see how we'll see how they like to, how they want to handle that. It seems like Griffin, the new GM there, he wants to hold on to Davis as long as possible and try to convince him to stay long term. You know, just here, take this truckload of money, please, and play with us, be the face of our franchise alongside Williamson. But you know. We know how NBA stars are. I think Anthony Davis and his agents really want him to be in Los Angeles. So, ultimately, that's probably where he'll end up one way or another, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think there's any chance uh – as far as like what do you think the, like for example the, like danny would have to to really give up you know, like what would he have to like offer up as a as a trade here cuz obviously now with the lakers pick maybe looking a little more attractive at number 4 i mean if you're Ainge, are you, are you having to give up both brown and tatum in a trade to get davis and and at this point given what we've seen with this team would you even eh, consider doing that
1: yeah i think the pelicans will obviously ask for both of them i i would like to think danny would say no you can have one. Don't ask for the second one. I'll give you one, and then he might have to part with. He'll probably have to part with the Memphis pick, uh, maybe number 14 this year, and then more players. Marcus Smart would probably have to be in the deal. Uh, maybe you could work out a. I don't even know if they could do a sign and trade because they're already over the cap. But sign and trade with Terry Rozier and send him down there. They're they're going to have to give up quite a bit. I think if you put. Tatum and Brown and Smart in the deal, it would match up the salaries for Davis. So that's the one that's being thrown around a lot. I just, I don't see how Danny would give up both of those. Knowing that, I mean, the Knicks, they they have nothing to give them. The Knicks have their, you know, number three pick, which, I don't know. Maybe if they like R.J. Barrett, the Pelicans would go for that. But then who are you adding on? Dennis Smith and Kevin Knox? I mean, they're, the Celtics can trump that offer, even the Lakers offer, if they do, you know, the four-pick, Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, uh, I always want to say D'Angelo Russell, but I know that's know I have. Uh, I, I just, I think the Celtics can obviously make the best offer, but at this point it's a matter of, is Danny really going to trade away the entire farm for Davis, knowing that there's a, there's a chance that it might only be for one year, and I mean, especially if Kyrie's not back. Do you really mortgage the future just to have one year of Anthony Davis and hope that you can convince him kind of like OKC okay, so did with Paul George a couple of years ago? It's it's an awfully big risk. We know Danny Ainge is a gambler, and he likes to he, – if there's one GM that will go out and make that risk, he's the one, and he won't be bad at night doing it. But I, I, I don't know. I think after seeing what happened this year, you.
0: I, I just don't I don't even know anymore yeah I mean I well and this is kind of a follow-up on that I mean what do you think or what do you do you have any possibility or an idea in your mind what what Danny Angel's plan B could be uh you know if you know he just he offers Kyrie a max deal and Kyrie just says nope see you later I'm'm I'm, I've done my time here I'm gonna look Somewhere I'm just gonna. I need a new uh organization or whatever. So he leaves. What's Plan B at the point guard position? Because you would think it might be Terry rosier but then again, with some of the comments he made at the end of the uh season, uh, I I'm not sure. Maybe he'd be willing to come back to a Kyrie-less Celtics, but I don't know if Danny Ainge, based on some of the comments he heard uh, from Rozier, whether he'd want to bring him back.
1: Yeah, I don't. I I was never really a big fan of Terry Rozier. He had a He had had a pretty good playoff run last season. I think that, like I said earlier, I think his postseason overall last year was a little overrated. His specialty since he disappeared on the road, and he just seemed to feed off of his fake beef with Eric Bledsoe to sell some t-shirts. And then just the fact that he came into the season knowing that he was the backup point guard. And it's not like he's backing up some lottery pick. He's backing up Kyrie Irving. Knowing that he was the backup, he still had showed no desire to take that role and thrive with it. He could have led that second unit, and he, he was so disinterested. He, he didn't care throughout the season. He played selfish ball. He played no defense, and it, especially the comments of the other day. I mean, there's, there's burning bridges on the way out. He, he threw Napon all over the bridge. There, there will never be a bridge again. I, I can't see him coming back to the Celtics especially if Kyrie's back, but I can't even see him coming back without Kyrie. So that leaves a giant hole at point guard. It's funny, I mean, going into this season, you you felt really good about that position. They had some really good right. depth with Kyrie and Rozier. Uh, you know, if Kyrie's knee ever gave out again, you'd feel kind of comfortable just saying, okay, Rozier, you, this is your time again. Let's see if you can do it. But he, he showed no desire. He, he, as much as I blame Kyrie for this year, I I blame Rozier for the downfall of the bench too. I mean, the bench before the season, Marcus Morris was talking about it. they were they're going to be the bench with attitude, and they they showed attitude. They just showed the wrong kind of attitude. It was the be me, me me attitude. I mean, Rozier the other day complained about touches. He was second on the team in overall touches to only Kyrie. So I really don't understand what his uh, what he was complaining about. Uh, as for what they could do going forward, that is. That is a great question. Uh, how do you feel about a Rondo reunion? Because he's one of the only point guards out there this offseason.
0: And and also he'd be able to fit into the cap. I, the only answer I would say to that is, uh, if you remember, Rondo was here when Stevens got on board and uh, Rondo wasn't here much longer after Stevens came on on I I think those two did not see eye to eye and you know you talk about Mercurial I mean obviously that's Rondo's middle name although maybe he shares it with Kyrie I guess they're kind of two different types of Mercurial but the point is they're both you know they both think they know more than the current Celtics coach about the game and so neither one is going to listen much and yeah I mean if 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 Stevens thought it was tough this year I mean all he's got to do if they ever thought of bringing uh, rondo back um uh, you know would be to just go back to year one uh, you know when he uh, first came on board here yeah i just uh you know i hey and i like b- both these guys do things with a ball uh, bringing it up the floor and some of the, the moves they can make that just you know they, they they make you're in awe watching what they can do the the immense yeah, talents they one of have the
1: Finishers i've ever seen i mean he's, he's spectacular a lot she's just a truly unique talent He
0: well, Ronda, with that hole, the way he would fake that behind the back pass, and have the ability because his oh, yeah. hands are so huge to be able to just pull it right back and then, you know, uh, toss it forward. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be. Uh, so, but that's the other thing: if they can't bring Kyrie back, the options are limited. I guess the cap space, and I don't understand all the permutations of the NBA salary cap, but apparently they couldn't just fill in another. You know, Kemba Walker probably would not be an option, even though he'd be a free agent uh, this oh, summer too. I would love
1: that as a diehard UConn basketball fan.
0: Yeah, well. Uh,
1: yeah, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Yeah, the the cap is constituted that they can't even if they lose Kyrie. I don't. They can't fit in under the max contract unless they trade Hayward and Al Horford takes a giant pay cut.
0: Well, let's talk about those two guys really quick since you brought them both up, and I was actually going to ask you something about them both. One. um you you think uh, Hayward, this is the best we're going to see of him, or do you think maybe with another off season, maybe he comes back uh, closer to form next year? And then two, uh, the opt out uh, option uh, this this off season with Horford, who if he sees a team minus Kyrie and with Hayward, you know whether or not he'll ever return back to the form he had in Utah, you know maybe Horford, who you know obviously you know while you think of him as a team first guy, he's also. He's a guy who's who wouldn't want to leave for money because he'd be he'd be giving up a lot of money to leave the Celtics. But you know, if the guy honestly wants to take a huge pay cut and try to win somewhere else, hello, Golden State, maybe I don't know. Uh, he you know he'd be the guy to do it. He'd be almost leaving for noble reasons. But you know, nevertheless, it would be kind of a sad uh, departure for the Celtics because you feel like uh, you know Horford is one of those glue guys you'd want to you know hang on to if you could.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, if Kyrie's gone and they go with the youth movement, I, Horford's leadership is extremely valuable. I mean, he's, like you said, he's the glue guy. He's the Phil Hartman of this team. it seems. So he, I mean, he just does everything well. He doesn't do anything great, but he does everything well. And I think you lose him and you lose a lot of the little things. And I don't, I don't know who they would replace him with either. Um, it would, they'd certainly be able to go out and try and find someone because it'd be a nice chunk of $30 million off the books. But we'll see. I mean, he's, he said that he wants to be here. Obviously, that would probably change. He's getting up there. And if he really wants to win and it's not going to happen here, I think they'd find a way to help him get to a winning team. Um, so we'll see about that. Hayward, I'd like to think that next year he'll be better. I mean, he was spectacular the year before he signed in Boston. It was a much different system in Utah, but this year, I, he just—he wasn't ready for the season. Uh, he had that setback in August, so he didn't even have a full off season to get ready. I mean, I know we saw all the videos of him picking up marbles with his toes and everything, but he really didn't have an off season to, you know, get back to that form. I'm not making excuses because he was—he was bad at, for large chunks of this season. But you would like to think that maybe having a full summer to get healthy again, to actually train basketball wise. That he'll be a lot better. I mean, he really can't go down from where he was. He was he was terrible in the playoffs, and it killed them. And Stevens relied way too much on him for large stretches, which is you know that's Stevens' fault. He should he should have seen that. If there's one thing that he definitely needs to improve on, Stevens, this is he needs to know when to call a timeout and get certain players off the floor because they just don't have it, and it's crushing the team. Uh, but we'll see. I'd like to think that Hayward, I don't know if he'll ever be a $34 million a year player, but you'd like to think he'd be a little closer to what he was in his good years in Utah than what we saw last year. Um, we'll see. I mean, like I said, this is an important offseason for him, training wise. Uh, if he comes back and is just as bad next year, then, yeah, I'd say he's probably a lost cause. But we'll see.
0: You know, Matt, I I knew I always liked you, and then you you made that – you used the uh, the Phil Hartman uh, analogy there, uh, talking about uh, the all-time great glue guys and – you know, all of a sudden, Matt, you've just vaulted yourself into all-star guest status here on the Toddcast because I well, I you. have to tip my mic- I, I mean, my God, between Saturday Night Live and News Radio, I mean, Phil Hartman was like the ultimate glue guy in in entertainment uh, just just for those two shows alone, no question about. It. I could I could go on another track about that, but this is sports, so and we're talking Celtics. I did want to ask you one last thing about uh, Marcus Smart, um, you know, and uh, you know, talking about other kind of glue guys on the team. Uh, you know, smart. Yeah, he's a fan favorite, and it, you know, in the end, you know, we all kind of some of us might have questioned that contract that Ainge signed him to, but you know, he really showed his worth, especially you know after missing some time and then coming back uh, for the for the end of the playoffs. Uh, you know, even in kind of a maybe half capacity. Uh, the one thing is, you know, right after the uh, that last game, you know, he made some comments about Kyrie Irving that. He actually liked playing with them. I mean, do you think he was just trying to be diplomatic there, or is he going to really be kind of crushed uh, when Kyrie uh, decides he, uh, you know, wants to start spreading the news uh, in the Big Apple or somewhere else?
1: <laughs> I, we'll see. I thought it was kind of noble and smart not to throw Kyrie under the bus like that because there was, you know, justifiably so, there was a lot of Kyrie bashing. And, you know, Kyrie was definitely, I'd say, 90% at fault for what happened this year, and even more so possibly in the playoffs. But I think Marcus Smart realizes that if he wants to win as a member of the Celtics, he is going to have to do that with Kyrie Irving. So it's within his best interest not to immediately go and throw him under the bus like, you know, some other point guard in the team thought was good to do. Um, Smart, I've made it no secret. I love Marcus Smart. He... He got better this year, he turned himself, I mean, he still takes some really horrible shots, but he turned himself into a better three-point shooter, which, in Brad Stevens' assistant, you have to do. Um, he still plays defense, like, very few in the NBA, and I mean, really, he is, he's the heartbeat of that team. I mean, he's their bulldog, and when he went down, it they missed him. They missed him greatly, obviously not against the Pacers, because the Pacers are a depleted team anyways, but... You, you were hoping that he would provide a little bit of spark against the Bucs, and I, I mean, I don't think anyone could have sparked that team to close that series. The Bucs were on a mission this year, and especially after that game-one embarrassment, they wanted to go out and embarrass the Celtics. and They did just that, so they deserve credit. Um, I thought it was funny how the Celtics actually praised the Bucs nonstop after they lost to them, and then Giannis came out yesterday and said well- that. They can't afford to lose Game One against the Raptors. Not like they did against the Celtics. You could do something like that against the Celtics team. Right, the
0: Celtics. But. right. Well, you know. Uh, well, we all know Kyrie's going to be parked on his couch watching that uh, that big uh, you know Toronto Bucks series that starts tonight. Uh, he already he told he told us that after the uh, the season ended there. Yeah, I, I just, uh, boy, I don't know. It, it's also uncanny that the, the Celtics, the last two seasons have ended in the same manner where they've uh, basically couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Everyone on the team suddenly forgot how to shoot. I, I, I'll i just kind of wrap up this whole segment by saying, you know, if the Celtics are going to, if Danny wants to hang on to all those, uh, you know, mid-first round picks uh, this year, I, I would think that probably the, the team's, uh, you know, number one need will be uh, possibly uh, insurance for uh, the departures, uh, potential departures of both Kyrie and uh, Terry Rozier would be, a, you know, a point guard. But then, even more than that, maybe just someone who can, can hit threes, because uh, you know this team was ranked near the bottom of the standings all year in making threes. They they tried to live by them, and you know when they did make a few, they were pretty good. But that last game against Milwaukee, I mean, they couldn't make one to to save their lives. Uh, again, just much like Game Seven against Cleveland last year. But uh, yep. yeah, they need more guys who can hit those shots uh, with some consistency. I mean, maybe maybe those are the kind of uh, players you can find around, you know, pick fourteen or twenty or you know something like that.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the three ball. I'd like to see someone that can actually go to the basket a little
0: bit more. Oh no, no, maybe... don't get me wrong. I, I'm kind of I'm totally with you there. I mean, I I don't like what the games become. That it's become a three point shooting contest. Yeah. But that's oh, kind yeah. of. But you got to be able to keep up with the Joneses when you you know you see uh, you know obviously what a team like the Golden State Warriors do on a nightly basis. Uh, so right. You know, you need something like it. You know, and speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned Milwaukee kind of on a mission here. Let's talk a little bit about the the final four teams that are left here. Uh, you know, hey, at least it's something different. No LeBron this year. You still got Golden State, of course, trying to, you know, make it uh, – what is it? Gonna be three straight, four or five or something? Or no, they've already won four or five, right? I think they're on a three peak uh, currently. Yeah,
1: I think so. I don't
0: have the abdicate. So. I I don't either. Yeah, anyway, but, Back they, them, but. yeah, they're the little current mini dynasty. Like, they're their final year in playing in Oakland too, before they head across the bay and you know, to, uh, you know, their, their new state-of-the-art arena. But, so, let me ask you about, uh, d- you know, do you think that they're the preeminent favorite? Or what about this Milwaukee-Toronto series? And, and I guess we have to talk a little bit, too, about how that, uh, you know, how Toronto's last series with Philadelphia ended in Game 7, that crazy shot from Kawhi Leonard. I mean, boy, I mean, here's a guy, I mean, you know, the uh, the Raptors took the one-year gamble picking up a guy who they know could leave after this season, but, you uh, you know right now they're they're just 8 wins away from uh uh taking a you know an NBA championship north of the border uh nope. you know and that shot by Kawhi is going to go down as one of the all-time greats to end uh, a playoff game and then when you realize it was you know game 7 of of an NBA playoff series it's just uh you know fourth bounce was the charm there but uh, oh, looks, I mean, yeah talk about that and then this nice up it looks like an intriguing series coming up with Milwaukee I mean Giannis and, and Kawhi Yeah
1: that I I mean, you know let's Flip a coin on that one. I like, I like Milwaukee just because Game Seven would be in Milwaukee. But I don't know. I mean, Kyle Lowry has kind of disappeared from Toronto, so it's pretty much the Kawhi show now. Um, that's kind of why I give, I give my Miami, Milwaukee the edge. Uh, Giannis is on a whole other level, and I do kind of like their depth a little bit more than Toronto. Believe it or not. Uh, I, and then in the West, you know, I I do love Portland. I love Damian Lillard. He's one of the more underrated guys in the NBA because you know he plays in Portland. But I don't. Even if even without Kevin Durant, they won by the Warriors won by twenty seven points in Game One. It it just doesn't look like anyone's going to slow them down. So
0: well, keep in mind though, with Portland, as I as I, I heard this was the instant analysis I heard after that game. Well, you know, uh, Portland had played two years earlier, two days earlier, at a high altitude. So, right. And, you know, so you're playing two days later against a different opponent coming down from, you know, mile-high altitude. So all those things. I mean, maybe maybe they only lose by two. Uh, you know, maybe that's a closer game if uh, all things are equal or if that's not even, like, the first game of the series.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to think that they could put up a fight. I've, I've, been, I've been a fan of Portland for a couple of years now, and, you know, they, they were disappointing last year, obviously. They lost in the first round. So you hope that they can take some steps this year and at least put up a fight against the Warriors. Um, we'll see. I If they can keep it close in game two, I'd like to think that they could maybe take a game or two in Portland. But, I don't know, Warriors are just there. It's absurd how dominant they can be.
0: Yeah, and they're doing it uh, right. You know, you say that right now Durant's been in hobble. They've been doing this also without uh, Cousins, right? Hasn't he been out now again for yeah. a while? Right, so, I mean, they're just, yeah. you know all the guys that were supposed to help him get even better and uh yeah i mean they're they're still uh you know uh yeah right there they're just finding ways to do it i mean yeah until someone knocks them off their perch i mean they're the team to beat and you know, everyone said, of course, the Celtics might have been the team with the best chance to beat the Warriors, but the problem was they, they certainly uh, couldn't beat uh, anybody else with regular consistency this this year. So, uh, well,
1: yeah, the Celtics are too busy thinking about the Warriors when they're playing the Bucks. So that was part of the
0: problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's it. You know, you got Can only you can only play the team that's in front of you at the time. And uh, Celtics did not do enough of that. But uh, certainly a, a fascinating off seasons uh, on the way. I mean, I could have even asked you. We didn't even really get much into Tatum or Brown other than them being potential trade chips. Uh maybe I'll have, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do this again during the summer. Uh by then maybe we'll have a better idea what the Celtics roster looks like and hopefully Tatum and Brown will still be a part of it and in, in some capacity and we can talk a little bit more about their uh, their year two development at uh, that oh, time great and from
1: Kyrie, talk to me July
0: 1st. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say like every like all hell's going to break loose after July 1st, isn't it? I mean, that's really sort of the the uh the, the the line of demarcation on the uh, the Celtics calendar, right? The NBA silly
1: season is about to get underway. Yep? Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> well, at least as a as a tune up for that, we'll have uh, should be an interesting. Uh, Last four teams here and uh, competing in the NBA. I didn't want to pay a I didn't want to pay a little rights fee to the NCAA for saying the uh, the that, that FF term. So I'm gonna. Uh, uh, <laughs> as long I'll... as
1: we don't play one shiny moment on the way
0: out, I think. we're <laughs> No, no chance of that. I might even uh, dial up Brass Bonanza again, or I may just play our theme song. Matt, listen, it's been fun. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining me here on the podcast and uh, we'll definitely have to do this again soon. Todd, thank you again. And
1: uh, next time if you want to chat about SNL, you'll The yesteryear of SNL. Please give me a call.
0: Ooh, an old-timey What? How far back do you, just so I know, how far back do you go on your SNL? Like, I mean, what reruns have you gone so far back as to watch? Like, all the way back to the beginning?
1: Uh, No, probably not the beginning. I mean, I've seen I love the SNL app because you can find just about anything on there. Um, I would say mostly in the early 90s days when it was, you know, Spade, Farley, Sandler.
0: Did you see Sandler's return uh, a couple of weeks ago? Uh, he said he was never going to come I, back to host.
1: I did not. I saw his Chris Farley song, and I, yes, I cried yeah. for several minutes uh, on that. Uh, but I, I didn't
0: I, cry, but it was it was very touching. I guess apparently uh, he had also done that on his Netflix special, which I have not seen, uh, yeah, but so, uh, I was it caught me by it, surprise. I still,
1: I mean, uh, you know I'm a big Hartman fan. I have to put Chris Farley 1. Hartman two in my all-time rankings.
0: Um, and you got Chris Farley number one over Hartman. Wow. What about Will? What about Will Ferrell?
1: He's, he's number three.
0: Okay. Number three. Wow. That's quite the. Uh, that is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, now you've got me thinking about this, and this might be an idea for a show. i it certainly have to do a, a top 20 of uh, all-time great cast members. Uh, yeah, I I definitely go back that far uh, as well. I, you know, like I say, the Hartman crew in the 80s is kind of where I first started really watching regularly. But, uh, yeah, yeah. If great you haven't to... read
1: it yet, Phil Hart, there's a great book about Phil Hartman. It's written by his brother. Oh. Or it's written with his brother, excuse me. Okay. Uh Really good. Uh, just ah. Uh, I
0: could talk about Phil Hartman for days. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, you know, again underrated on news radio as well. He was uh, really oh, absolutely. Of, yeah, that uh, once he left, uh, when they tried to bring the show back without him for another year, it just was not the same, uh, for sure. But anyway, okay, let's let's stop there before we go for another hour. Uh, <laughs> Matt, it, it definitely has been fun though, and we'll definitely have you back on again uh, on the Toddcast real soon. Todd,
1: uh, thanks. Take
0: care. All right, you too, Matt. All right, again, that's uh, Matt Geegan. You can uh, follow him on Twitter. I should have mentioned his handle while he was on with us. Uh, that's at Matt Geegan. That is M-A-T-T-G-E-A-G-A-N. Uh, Matt uh, tweets probably about as much as I do, but he puts up some pretty funny stuff, and he's got a cool picture of him uh, and uh, Pedro uh, doing the little uh, finger-pointing thing, which uh, has me beat. I've never gotten a chance to, to meet Pedro personally. so. uh, uh yeah, there, there you go. All right. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, you, you can uh, check out his work, too, on uh, CBSBostonSports.com. Uh, Don't get, forget to follow us here on uh, social media by searching "Timeout for Sports Talk on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC. You, you can get the links to the latest to, TOST podcasts as well as our monthly TV shows, which stream live on BelmontMedia.org. And, by the way, our next live TV show, Howie McClellan and I will be, uh, back talking uh, Bruins playoffs and a lot of other stuff uh, this uh, coming Tuesday, May the 21st. So you can check all that out uh, and you can uh, watch the live stream eight o'clock Tuesday evening on uh, belmontmedia.org. I want to thank uh, once again Matt Geegan, WBZ Channel 4 sports producer. And until next time, my name is Todd Bloniars want to thank you for checking out the TOST podcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.